0: thankful for you. Uh, Hey, last week I I had a cold kind of up here. This week I have a cold that's here, and my prayer is that this is its exit strategy, okay, that it's just slowly leaving my body. And so I I ask for your forgiveness in advance. I I have drank more tea than any human should drink. My son asked me yesterday if I was going British. He, He just thought that was his question for me. Dad, are you British? And I told him, no, I just have a sore throat. So, uh, we're going to dive in, and I just beg your forgiveness for any hacking, coughing, or weird noises that come out this morning. We're going to blame the cold for that. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3, because that's where we're going to be this morning. Jonah chapter 3. Also, if you want to turn on your, your Bibles this morning and go digital, you're more than welcome to do that. We would just love for you to have God's Word in front of you. Uh, also, if you don't have a Bible, if, you, if you're here this morning and you go, Hey, I don't have one of these things, um, we'd love for you to take the Bible that's in front of you this morning home with you. That'd be our a free gift for you. We'd love for you to have a Bible in your home for you to have for yourself. And so we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3. And, and this is kind of where we've been all throughout the book of Jonah so far. Is so what we've really discovered is that Jonah, uh, although most of us probably consider uh, Jonah a Bible story for children that Jonah really is a a Bible story for you and a Bible story for me. In fact, I I think if we really pay attention, we discover that we're a lot like Jonah in a lot of ways. And in Jonah chapter 1, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and tells Jonah, as my prophet, I want you to go to the town of Nineveh and cry out against those people and their evil deeds. And what scripture says is that, Uh, Jonah only got part of it right, that he did arise, he did get up and go, but instead of being obedient to God, he disobeyed God and ran from God. In fact, he tried to get as far away from God as possible and as far away from the place that God was sending him as possible. So what scripture says is that God sends a big storm to get Jonah's attention. As Jonah gets on the boat and starts to set sail, hoping to get as far as possible away, that God sends a storm to get Jonah's attention, that God is pursuing Jonah and giving Jonah an opportunity to come back to him, an opportunity to repent, an opportunity to say, hey, God, you're right, I'm messing this thing up, but let me come back to you. And yet Jonah continues in his disobedience. And so God sends a captain of the ship to Jonah. And he goes down to Jonah and says, listen, I think this is about you. I think you have something to do with this storm. And if you would pray, maybe your God would cease this storm. And what we discover is that Jonah doesn't pray. And so uh, the captain who cares for his vessel, the captain who cares for his first mate and his crew decides reluctantly, we need to throw Jonah off the ship. We got to get rid of him. And Jonah actually tells him, if you would throw me off, God would have mercy on you because he's after me. And so They throw Jonah off the ship, and last week we looked at Jonah chapter 2, which is really Jonah's recounting of the story that he gets thrown off, and the, the waves and the billows are surrounding him, that somehow he gets wrapped up in seaweed, and he even makes it down close to the bottom of the ocean, and he thinks to himself, this is it. And then this big fish comes and swallows him up, and he begins to remember God. He remembers that it's God who is The Savior, God who is pursuing him. He remembers that God is great and has all authority and all power, even when Jonah rebels from him. And Jonah chapter 2, the the very last verse in Jonah chapter 2, is my favorite because it says, God commands the big fish to vomit Jonah out. Now, I want to be sensitive this morning to your stomach, but if vomit isn't nasty enough, you have to imagine that fish vomit. And big fish vomit is really bad. And so Jonah gets vomited by the fish onto the shore. And we pick up Jonah's story in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Now, I absolutely love this. Because we see that God is a God of second chances that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah again that God hasn't given up on him that God is still speaking to him that God is still pursuing him that God still desires a relationship with him and it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time sane. and what we know is that Jonah didn't deserve a second chance Jonah in no way shape or form has done anything to contribute to God's love for him, just like you and I can't do a whole lot to contribute God's love for us, but God in his mercy comes to Jonah and speaks to him again. And see, this is one of the things I absolutely love about Jonah and the scriptures contained here. So we discover that we have a God that is the God of second chances. And I don't know about you, but I at least know for me that I'm on like my 100 millionth second chance in life. And we have a God that continues to offer us grace. A God who continues to say, hey, you blew it, but the word of the Lord came again. And maybe for some of us, that's where we're at this morning. That this isn't the first time the word of the Lord came to you, but it's the second time. The idea in the Hebrew here is that the word of the Lord is coming again and again and again and again so that we would receive it, so that we would get it. And according to the Bible, this is, this is grace. That God would treat us not according to how we deserve, but according to his character and according to his love for us. And maybe for some of us this morning, there's an awesome opportunity that we will have That God is pursuing us and he's coming to us again a second time. And Noah finds himself, excuse me, Jonah finds himself covered, I believe, in fish vomit. And the word of the Lord comes to him again. And this is what it says, Jonah chapter 3, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, these two words together, arise and go, are urgency words. This is get up and go, but it's get up and go now. Don't delay. Don't allow any gap in time between this. Don't hear my word and then think about my word. It's hear it and do it. Don't talk yourself out of it. Don't allow anyone else to talk you out of this. Don't even give yourself time for excuses. Get up where you are, how you are, and go to that great... City, or maybe for some of us, that's God's word to us this morning: that we need to get up and go, that we need to act quickly, and that maybe for some of us, we know exactly what God's calling us to. We know exactly what God is speaking into our lives through His Word and through the power of His Holy Spirit. Maybe God's word is this: do it. And do it quickly. Don't don't put any time in here. Don't allow any lag time. Don't give yourself an opportunity to talk yourself out of it. Don't give yourself an opportunity for someone else to talk you out of it. Get up, arise, and go. And maybe for some of us, it's just like Jonah. Maybe there's somebody we need to share the gospel with. Maybe there's someone we need to say, hey, This is what I believe, and what I believe is there really is a heaven and there really is a hell, and your relationship with Jesus determines where you go. Maybe you need to arise and go. Maybe for some of us, there's someone we need to forgive. And so you've heard the word of the Lord maybe many times, and the word of the Lord comes to you again. He says, arise and go. Don't allow any lag time here maybe for some of us, we need to make good on a promise. And what God says is, arise and go. Don't talk yourself out of it. I think the big idea here in Jonah chapter 3, verse 2, is obedience should always be done quickly. And that a delay in obedience is always disobedience. And this is where Jonah got himself in so much trouble. Instead of hearing God's word and doing his word, He heard God's word, and then he put on the brakes. He said, let's slow this thing down. I don't want to follow through on this thing right away. In fact, Jonah does really the opposite, right? He hears God's word and throws it in reverse. Let's back that thing up. not sure if I really want to do this. And when God's word comes to Jonah again, he says, listen, let's not do it the same way. Let's not allow a whole lot of lag time here. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you now here's one of the questions that i think we have to ask is why would god call nineveh a great city after all he's going to send jonah to nineveh to cry out after it and he says i want you to go to that great city and here's what i think is really important about this is what god is saying is nineveh is a big city it's an influential city how goes Nineveh goes the rest of Assyria when it comes to culture and philosophy and education, that they have all the things that people want in a large city. There's wealth and there's power, and they've got a great health system and a great education city. In fact, most scholars and historians believe Nineveh is one of the greatest and has some of the most historical importance of all the other cities in that area. And that by most estimates there's at least 120,000 men, which means there could have been upwards of half a million people in this city. And not only that, but it's a fortress, that it's fortified, that most people believe there was a, a large fenced wall seven and a half miles wide around the whole city, which really meant unless they wanted you in, you couldn't get in, and unless they wanted you out, you couldn't Get out. And God says, I want you to go to this really important city. I want you to go to this hub. I want you to go to the source of culture and philosophy and health care and education. Because if we go here and if something happens here, it'll, it'll flow out from there to all different places. Because as it goes in Nineveh, it'll go in other places. Jonah chapter 3, verse 3 through 5. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He's going to get it right this time. Jonah decides, I'm going to do exactly what God has called me to do. Now, I don't want you to go over this so fast that we missed this because the wording is really important here. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh According to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was a great city, three days journey in breath. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. Now this is really important. Because if we blow over this and we read verse 3 and verse 4, it seems like we're just Redundant. That he arise and went, and as he arise and went, he began. But that's not actually what the scriptures are saying. In fact, the word began to go in Hebrew is a picture word. It's an illustration like most Hebrew words are. And the Hebrew word is kalau bo. It's two words, kalau bo. And what it really means is to untie yourself. It means to let go of something. It means to release the thing that you were holding onto so that you can begin to do something new. See, verse 4 has, I think, more to do with Jonah's heart and his intention than verse 3 did, had to do with the direction he was heading. I think you could read it like this, that as Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. And Jonah began to release. Jonah began to untie himself. Jonah began to let go of the things he held on to before so that he could begin to do something new. See, I would argue that at this point, The only thing that's changed in Jonah is his view of God. Like, I don't think Jonah was vomited out of the big fish loving the Ninevites anymore. I don't think Jonah was vomited out of the fish desiring to see them saved any more than when he went in. All he revealed to us in his prayer is that he came to the realization that God alone saves and that salvation belongs to him. And that even though he deserved to die, that his God was the God who saved and for whatever reason chose to save him. it's because of his view of God. It's because of his love for God. It's because he wants to obey the God who loves him, obey the God that saves him, obeying the God who is the only God worthy of his praise. The part of the journey is he has to begin to let go of some things. He has to begin to let go of his hatred. He has to begin to let go of his pride. He has to begin to let go of his will and his desire. He has to begin to let go of his desire to control his own life. He has to begin to let go of his safety. See, I think the question is, is what do we need to let go of? See, what's holding you back and what's holding me back? But what sort of things are we holding on to? Even though maybe directionally we've arisen and maybe we're going, the question is, what are we holding on to that would prevent us from fully following God? But what are we holding on to saying, God, I will follow you, but I'm not going to let go of these things? These things remain in my grasp. These things remain in my sight. These things are underneath my control. What do you and I need to call bow? What do we need to release? What do we need to let go of? What do we need to begin to untie ourselves from so that we could begin to experience something new? See, isn't that what Jonah said in the end of his prayer? In Jonah chapter 2, he said, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope In the steadfast love, the hassad, the pursuing love of God. And Jonah begins to realize that even though he's going, he needs to begin to do some releasing, some surrendering, some untying because he doesn't want to miss out, because he doesn't want to fall short. Because he's already realized that anytime we trade in the Hassad love of God for anything else, we always get ripped off. That there's absolutely nothing worth the love of God. To go, here, you take the love of God and I'll take that. So he begins to bow, untie his heart. He begins to release some things. And the question is, what's holding you back? Is it your reputation? Is it the way that you want others to perceive you? Is it your will? Is it your desire instead of God's desire? Which is really pride. I know better than anybody else. Is it your comfort? God, I don't want to lose any of this. I really like my life the way it is. Is it fear? Is it control? What is that for you that you need to call ball? And then something really interesting happens. Scripture says that Jonah approaches the city and he has to say something to them. That he's unwound himself, he's untied himself. It's a preparation to speak the word that God has given to him. And could you imagine being Jonah at this point? You're walking towards the great city, the people who are the enemy of your people, the people who are known for their wickedness and their brutality and their hostility in battle. That Honestly, most of the things that the Assyrian army did to people in battle isn't even worth mentioning to me. This morning, in a setting like this, because it was so horrible and so wicked. Like, let's just be honest for a second, because it's church. You're supposed to tell the truth. Like, we think about sharing our faith with our neighbors, and our knees start to knock a little bit. But we think about sharing our faith or our love for Jesus with a coworker or a boss, the guy or the gal that we carpool with. The other parents at our kids advance. And we start to get a little bit nervous and we start to wonder what will they say and what will they think and what will they do and how will I feel and what if I mess up. And Jonah's approaching a city of people who are ruthless murderers. Wondering will I make it through the gate and if I make it through the gate will I make it out of the gate. And you got to start to imagine he begins to think how do I present God's message to these people. Like, what in the world do I say to them? There's way more of them than there are of me. They're way more powerful than I am. They're armed. I'm not. I smell like fish vomit. And you've got to imagine that he he does what we are tempted to do at times. He goes, maybe I'll water down the message a little bit. Maybe instead of crying out, I'll preach how to be a happier person. Step one, stop being so mean. Smile more. Step two, think happy thoughts. And step three, don't worry, just be happy. And if you would do that, then you would have purpose and significance, and your life would no longer be empty. And see, I think sometimes because we know that our God is a God who offers salvation, and our God is a God who offers redemption. Because our God is a God of love and grace, sometimes we back down and sometimes we get nervous about hard truths. Excuse me. And yet, this is what Jonah says as he enters the great city. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. And he called out to them, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 40 days. And this entire place, and everyone in it, will be overthrown. Eight words, highly offensive. Jordan walks into Nineveh and says, yet in 40 days, Nineveh shall be completely overthrown. Now in Hebrew, the word overthrown is one word with, Many meetings. And I think that's why God gave Jonah this word because it could actually be translated overturned and destroyed. So it can mean your destruction. <coughs> Excuse me. It can also mean overturned and changed. So literally, the message reads like this In 40 days, you will either be destroyed or you will be changed. In 40 days, you will either continue down the path you're going, or in 40 days, you will allow God to do something new in you, but you get to choose. You get to choose your outcome. You get to choose what path you go down. You can either respond, or you can deny. But listen, this thing is limited. This is a limited time offer. In 40 days... God will do something. And the question is, is will you be destroyed or will you be changed? See, sometimes we might hear something like that and we go, man, that sounds kind of harsh. I like, Man, that seems like a hard truth. And I go, but if we really understand God's mercy, God's mercy has an expiration date on it. Like none of us, none of us are guaranteed a tomorrow. Which means today could be your last day. That today could actually be your last opportunity to either be changed or destroyed. That for some of us, maybe we're only on day five of 40, but maybe for other us, day 38, day 39, See, when that day comes, you and I will stand before God, and mercy is no longer an option. But there will be a day that you and I stand before a holy, holy, holy God, and we will be judged. And we can either be judged for our sins, or we can be judged according to what Christ accomplished for us through His life and through His death and through His resurrection. See, maybe God's word is the same to us today, that you and I have the opportunity to be overthrown. That something new could happen inside of us. There would be a new creation, a new work inside of us. And we have the opportunity to respond to that, that we have the opportunity to hear God's word and to respond to God's word, just like everyone in Nineveh had the opportunity to hear God's word and then respond to his word. Or just like Nineveh, we would have the opportunity to hear God's word and not respond to it. That we could hear God's word and say, I'll choose the destruction. And my hope would be this morning that you would hear God's word clearly and that you wouldn't choose to be overthrown destruction, but you would choose a newness. You would choose to be saved. Jonah chapter 3 verse 5, for most Israelites, for most people who were God's people, this would have been a really hard verse. In fact, most people wouldn't have liked this verse or even believed it because verse 5 says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and they put on a sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. I don't even know that Jonah fully understood what was taking place here. I think he thought there would be a lot more resistance to this thing, but he shows up and he goes, listen, 40 days. 40 days and you'll either be destroyed or you'll be made new. And all of a sudden, the people of Nineveh go, listen, we believe. Scripture doesn't say they believed Jonah. It says they believed God. And I think they were highly aware of their wickedness. They're like, yeah, we kind of knew this day was coming. Like, we kind of knew what we did last year would catch up to us this year. And so they believed. And not only did they believe, but they began to put on sackcloth, which is a, a form of repentance. And it wasn't just the great, it wasn't just the least, it was everyone. And I think most people who would hear this go, like, the Ninevites? Ninevites? Like, really? They, they believed? Like, they busted out sackcloth? Like to give you some perspective on this, this would be like turning on the TV tomorrow for an Oprah special, seeing that Tom Cruise is jumping on the couch because he's been saved by Jesus and he's now a Christian evangelist who wants to save the world. Now, this would be like me telling you that Hugh Hefner will be here next week speaking because he's been saved by Jesus and he now makes children's books on purity. This would be like me telling you that the strip in Vegas has closed down and they're giving away the casinos to churches because they would rather have a strip of churches than a strip of casinos. They go, the Ninevites were saved? The Ninevites began to see their wickedness and turn? And a sackcloth is literally a cloth made from goat skin. I think maybe the closest thing we have to it is burlap. Itchy, smelly, not really desirable. And what it resembles is a physical yearning for God. It's a physical sign to say we've given up pursuing anything of this world. We've given up thinking that there's anything that this world has to offer us. Rather, we put on the sackcloth, which remembers our sin. It itches and it's un comfortable and rather than seeking any earthly pleasure we seek you god and we cry out to you that we are nothing and we do not deserve you but we cry out to you and then something really fascinating happens jonah chapter 3 verse 6 and the word reached the king of nineveh and he arose from his throne and he removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth. Like just, just this sentence alone is full of meaning. That when the word of the Lord comes, the king gets off the throne. Symbolizing that there's something significant happening here. Stepping away from his posture of power. And he takes off his royal robes, which is a really big deal because the king would never be seen in anything other than his royal robes. And it's as though he lays down his royalty, it's as though he lays down his power, it's as though he lays down his possession and his title, and he too puts on the sackcloth. And then he takes his things to a whole nother level. He removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and he published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let men and beasts be covered in sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence That is in his hands Who knows God may turn and relent And turn from his fierce anger So that we may not Perish The king goes listen Jonah shows up Preaches Eight words Short offensive To the point This isn't in scripture, but I imagine if you made the movie of Jonah, at this point, the only song you could play as background music is Johnny's Cash, God is going to cut you down. And you got 40 days. And the king repents. He goes, listen, I got to get off the throne. And I got to get out of my royal robes. And I have to call out mightily to God. I need to pursue this God so that I could somehow be saved that maybe... God would give me a second chance, and maybe God would give us a second chance. And so not only does he say we're not going to eat, he says there's no eating or drinking. He says not only are we fasting, but the animals are fasting. And not only are we going to wear sackcloth, but the animals are going to wear sackcloth. And could you imagine that for a minute? Like you animal lovers. Like could you imagine trying to cut out sackcloth for your dogs? Then making your dog wear that sackcloth? And you cat lovers, you're in big trouble. I mean I, I want video of that. Hey, can you imagine if you if, can you imagine if you've got herd of cattle? You're like, come here, cowie cowie, I can wear this thing. From what I've heard, if you do not feed a herd of cattle that's a count of twenty, you can actually hear their moaning from a half mile away. If you get a group of 20 cattle together, and when they're hungry, and they're crying out for their hay and for their oats, you can hear them from a half mile. And what scripture tells us in Jonah chapter four is there's at least 120,000 head of cattle. Could you imagine the sound? Of just the cattle crying out from thirst and from hunger. See, I don't know that much about cattle, but I have kids. And I know that if I don't feed my kids at least every couple hours, you can hear them for a half mile. And the king says, listen, we're going to use this fast. We're going to use these cravings that we have. We're going to use this hunger that we have to focus ourselves on God, and then to cry out to Him mightily to make Him our focus because maybe, just maybe, He'll give us grace. See, one of the things that happened to me this week is I continue to go over Jonah chapter 3 time and time again. I told Pastor Steve this week that there was this this thing inside of me. There there was this frustration. There was this holy orneriness. And to be honest, I've just been kind of crabby all week, if you can imagine that about me. And what I want you to know is that I ache. Deeply for your spiritual condition. And I ache deeply for the spiritual condition of our church. Because one of the things that's really interesting about what takes place in Nineveh is they call the fast and they put on the sackcloth and they cry out to God, and we're going to see just in a minute that God shows them grace. But if we do our Bible study, we realize their repentance doesn't last very long. Like they see God's grace, and you know what they do almost immediately? Forget about Him. Turn away from Him. They go back to doing everything they'd done Before. And it worries me that we live in a culture where somehow being a Christian is, we just go to church and then we get on with our lives. We get involved in some stuff and then just do whatever the heck we want to do. And I just think that if Jesus lives, like if he really did come and if he really did live and if he really did Die, and if He really rose again, then we should live for Him, and not just on Sunday morning between seven thirty and one o'clock, depending on your involvement, but that we would live for Him, and that He would be at the source of all that we do. That the question we would ask all the time is, Jesus, what I'm about to do, what pleases You the most, and how can I give You the most glory, and how do I find the most satisfaction? In you. And it kills me. It kills me. I, I had a conversation with a pastor friend of mine just the other day. And he was like, yeah, getting ready to wind down for the summer. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, man, everybody takes the summer off. He's like, we kick back all our programs. And he's like, we, we just cruise to the summer. And I thought, one day, like, listen, one day, I will stand before Jesus. And not only will I give a personal account for my life and what I've done and how I've loved my wife and how I've loved these children, but I'll give an account for how I pastored this church. And like, I don't have a Bible verse about taking the summer off. I can go, hey, gee, gee, like, look, look at Paul kind of, right here in Galatians, he kind of says, run the race except for June through August. See, see, like if you get to the message abbreviated version, it, se- it says that, and it worries me. It worries that we live in a country where the majority, the majority claim to love Jesus, and yet we see very little fruit, and very little action, and very little worship, and very little evangelism. In very little prayer. And this is all I'm trying to say. Is that if Jesus really is the Lord of all, then we should take up our cross and follow him daily. And the problem is, is I think far too many people are trying to replace the word cross with Christian comforter. And I ache for you. And I ache for us. Because I desire to see us love Jesus and be obedient to him because we can have a relationship with him. And then maybe one of the questions we ask ourselves this morning is what is the Fahrenheit of my heart towards Jesus? What's the spiritual condition of my heart? If I had to take a temperature, am I cold? Am I lukewarm? Am I hot? And what do I do about this thing? Because if he lives, then let's live for him. And let's not be people that continue to go through the cycle of, today I'll put on my sackcloth and repent so that tomorrow I can go do whatever I want to do. And I'll come back and put on my sackcloth and tomorrow I'll go do what I'll ever do. And by the way, eventually Nineveh gets destroyed. Jonah chapter three, verse 10. When God saw what they did, And how they turned from their evil ways. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. God came to Jonah a second time. A God of grace. Jonah chapter 3 verse 10. God comes to the Ninevites a second time. And my hope would be this morning that in some sort of spiritual way that only God can do that he would come to you and that he would come to me a second time this morning. And my heart aches for us that we would respond to him. My heart aches for us that we would say yes to him. And my heart aches for us that if he is alive then let us live for Him. See, the beauty of this is that there's some of us that we'd say, yeah, but you don't know who I am or what I've done. And that might be true. I do, I do watch TV, and I have not seen any of you on the news, so it hasn't been that bad, whatever you've done. Or you're really good at getting away with it. I did watch Crime Stoppers once and thought I saw Steve, but it wasn't him. <laughs> I only know that because I was with him at the time of the filming. No, I'm just And see, what we know about the Ninevites is they were wicked, wicked people. And I think all of Israel would have been like, how in the world does God, how does he relent? How does he give grace? How does he forgive the Ninevites? And sometimes the people who appear to be the furthest from God are actually the people that are the closest to receiving his grace. And my hope would be that if you're here this morning and that's you, that God's coming to you a second time. That he's giving you another opportunity. That maybe there's some of us that God's been after us and speaking to us and calling us, but we've been running. My hope would be the day, today would be the day, that you would receive God's grace. That you would say yes to him and that you would repent of your sin and allow him to save you like only he can do. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and thank you for who you are. God, sometimes we really enjoy the messages of three steps to being a happier person and six ways to enjoy life more. But God, I thank you for the eight words you give us in Jonah chapter three, that yet in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. God, I pray that today as we as we process your word. God, as we examine our own minds and our own hearts and our own lives, God, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit you'd help us to make sense of this. God, I pray that you would help us in this moment know how we as individuals should respond to you. God, that for maybe some of us, we just need to recommit like Jonah had to recommit and say, I'll make good on my vow to you. That you called me child and now I call you father and I will make good on my vow to you. That I will follow you. And I'll unbind myself to the things that I've so closely held on to. God, maybe there'd be some of us here today who have heard that you're a God of love and a God of grace, but you're also a God of wrath and anger and that one day we'll stand before you and time and time again, they've put off salvation, put off salvation thinking they'd have another day. God, I pray that today would be the day they respond to you by seeing you for who you are and repenting of their sin, seeking you for forgiveness. And God, for others of us, Maybe we've just been following you, but there's this one thing we know that you've been saying to do. We've been putting it off. There's this one area where you've been saying go and we've tried to deny God, I pray today would be the day that we surrender to you. God, that today would be the day that we allow bow. We release the things that we've been holding on to. We let go of those things. God, so we can hold on to you. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. In a few minutes, the ushers are going to come forward to receive the offering. Um, but while. while-